it's exciting. It's an honor to get to be here uh, to share it with uh, about Youthquake, but also um, to, to get to share just for a couple of minutes out, out of the scripture. Uh, really quickly, before we get into that, though, I do want to send greetings from my pastor, Pastor Sean. Uh, he wanted me to convey uh, just how much we as a church, him as a pastor, appreciates uh, your congregation, but we appreciate your leadership, your pastors as well, your friendship. You guys have been incredible. There's a powerful move in the city of Jacksonville right now uh, towards unity, right? Towards this, uh, as James said earlier, and, and Pastor Sean's drilled it into us at our staff and now into our church, is that uh, he loves it because he he can sucker people in every now and then. He's like, hey, how many churches are there in Jacksonville? And everybody's like, man, I don't know, a lot, you know, maybe a, a thousand, two thousand. And he's like, one. And everybody's like, what? That doesn't work. And he's like, yeah, we're multi-site, man. There's like 1,700 uh, sites around the city, but we're one church. And so you guys have spiritually uh, really been at the forefront of that charge. And so we just want to honor you guys. We want to thank you. Love you guys. Can we give it up for your staff here at Beaches Chapel, Pastor Howard, Pastor James, Pastor Tina, anybody else that I've forgotten, I'm sorry. But you guys have an incredible staff, an incredible uh, team here, and you guys are an incredible congregation that really, truly are, are near and dear to our hearts. This is like family to me. Um, and it's always fun to get to be here with you guys to worship because uh, it's like a family reunion, right? Those people you get, to get to, you get together with every couple of years or every so often, you're like, oh my gosh, it's been a long time. How are you? Let's catch up. And so it, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, like I said, I grew up in Youthquake. If you don't know me, I, I man, my dad's been doing ministry ever since I was born. And so... Uh, I had, right, you got two ways you can go. You can be the, the pastor's kid, right, that grows up and hates ministry. Um, I'll tell you what, I went the other direction. My dad did a great job. A lot of people are like, save your best for home. Um, I'll tell you, my dad did not do that. What my dad did is he made sure that his family got his best, right? So his, his, it wasn't safe for home. It wasn't like he went home and that was when he turned on his best. But if he was going somewhere and that's where his best was going to be, he brought me along with him and I fell in love with it. Right? I was at Youthquake shows from a little kid, which James talked about, and I'm sure I was annoying as all get out. I know for a fact I was. There was one intern, TJ was his name, and I stole his intern binder every single week. Uh, he got in a lot of trouble for it because he couldn't keep track of his binder, and, uh, and it came out later that I was doing that. Um, but man, I was, I was a little punk, but I'll tell you what, I loved being there. I loved seeing ministry done, and as I got older and realized the power of what was happening, rather than just the fun, rather than just the games and the laughing, um, and the power of what was happening, man, I fell in love with getting to do it. And so uh, I, I, I thank you, right, for giving us the opportunity, for giving my, my dad, Pastor Sean, the opportunity to do things like that with you, like for sending your student, for being a part of that with us. Uh, I wouldn't be here, right, without those moments. And so it is awesome. It's exciting for us to see that happening in the city. And I told you, our, our, I might not have said it exactly, but our theme verse for Youth Like Live is 1 Timothy 4.12. Uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for all believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is the core of everything that we are. This is the core of Youth Click Live. It was the core of uh, Pastor Sean when he was a youth pastor. That was his theme verse. Um, and so that got ingrained into me. It is literally a part of who I am. But I, I, I want to quickly go into that heart just for a second. We're going to spend our time in Acts this morning. Um, but I, I want to quickly share with you this heart because Paul is writing to a young man, right? The, the Bible is in context. It happens to something. Paul's writing to Timothy, the youngest pastor of the largest church in the world at that time. And so he's saying, don't let anyone look down because you're young, but set an example. But can I tell you, that's the heart of this, the, the extent of this verse isn't just for youth. It's not just for young people. The heart of this is your age is not tied. It has no relevance toward your example, 
right? Like, don't let anyone down you because you're young, but also, hey, guess what? If he was writing to an older person, it would have been, don't let anyone look down you because you're old. If you're 93 and breathing, guess what? Set an example for all believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. This is the core of who we are. At Youthquake, we pour into students. We believe they're going to take over, but as I get older, I am confronted with the fact consistently that I am no longer uh, uh, that young, Right? Some of you I am, to them I'm not. I'm a youth pastor, right? and I walk in and they're talking about things, they're doing these weird dance moves, and it's like, man, it looks stupid to me, but you guys are loving it, so I'm, I'm getting older. right? Uh, or they have, I, I, I can't get into that. Um, there's, fun, there's, there's fun Instagram and Twitter things to follow that are like the Gen Z Bible, hilarious. Uh, they take a real passage of scripture and translate it into like how a Gen Zer would say it, and it's outrageous. It's really, really funny, but I'm gonna get off topic if I go there. Uh, so Paul's writing this, but it's not just for the youth. In the heart of this verse, like I said, is your age isn't tied to your example, right? And this is something for each and every one of us. This verse applies to all of us as we go through life. Man, I'm, I'm not letting anyone look down on me because of where I stand uh, if, my, if I've got a beard or if I have gray hair, or if I have black hair, or if I have no hair. Uh, for some of you, guess what? It's okay, right? Um, the Lord said that he counts every hair on your head and that's because he's holding them for you up in heaven when you get there. And so uh, you'll get it back, don't worry. But our age isn't it. And so it's so easy to go through and, and use our age, mine, young people, the youth that I lead, as you get older, it's easier always. That's a go-to is I can't do that. I'm too old. I can't do that. I'm too young. God, I'll get older. I'll get out of college and I'll start going on missions when I have money. I'm, it's too young for me right now. It's too dangerous out there. I need to get more mature. Well, you get more mature and you're like, man, I, I'm too old. Now I got responsibilities. I've got all this and I can't go do that. Or man, I, I, here's one I hear a lot. I did my time in student ministry. I did my time with kids, right? I'm too old for that now. And Paul's like, mm, you're not too old for anything. Your age isn't tied to this, right? You don't age out and you don't age into the call of God. It's just the call from when you are born to when you die and go home, the call of God is on your life. And so that's been foundational for everything we've done with students, for everything I've done personally, right? For everything Youthquake has done, uh, it's, it's the core, right? And I think it's a good core. Um, and so the question becomes, how do we set that example? What example are we supposed to set? We can get into a lot of them. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? So like, hey, if you're confused about what example to set, follow me as I follow Christ. So then my current go, my go-to a lot of times is, all right, Paul, what are you doing? Let's, let's, I'm going to read Paul. I'm going to see, not that he's Jesus, right? But if you're following Christ and I'm confused about how to handle some things, let me just read Paul and see what he's doing and what I can take away from that. And so let's, we're, this morning, we're going to look at one of Paul's examples in one situation that I believe we're called to set an example for. And I believe that us as the church, and that you as a church, Beaches Chapel, so us as the church universal, the church of Jacksonville, if we can grab hold of this, and, and for you guys specifically at Beaches Chapel, if you grab hold of this, we will see a revival breakout that would be unlike anything the world has ever seen unlike anything our city has ever seen, unlike anything our nation has seen. And, and so we're going to go to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we're going we're gonna to hustle through this today because I'm going to honor y'all's time, but, um, but this is such a great verse. We're going to work through this. It's a good little chunk of scripture. And, uh, but I think there's a real key in Acts 16, starting in verse 16, um, to how we could see real life change, real revival break out in our city if we would grab hold of the truth of scripture. And for me, so often I can read a scripture and get about halfway through and find exactly, and be like, boom, that's what I needed, and stop. And I miss 
some of what's happening and I need to continue reading. And I think this is one, as I've worked with students a long time, that um, students usually stop at a certain point. And I've learned that the power of the verse comes right after that point. And so if you'll go through this with me, Acts 16, if you'll forgive me, I usually have a Bible with me. Um, I feel a bit weird. I don't this morning. I just gave it away to a middle schooler who didn't have one. Uh, and that's not like a brag thing. That's like literally, he was like, I don't have a Bible. I was like, I'm pretty sure you do. And you just forgot it. But here, take mine. It's got really great notes in it that I've made. If I do say so myself, very wise, read it, you know. Um, so I gave it to him and told him, hey, bring it back to me. If you have your Bible, if you get one, you can bring that one back to me. But if not, it's yours. So I don't have one. I, I don't know where to get a Bible anymore. Lifeway closed down. I, I'm having to do it off the internet, I think. Uh, but it was very weird for me because I was like, oh, I'll just go pick one up. And then I realized I don't know where to go pick one up anymore. Um, so online it is for Bibles now. So I'm going to read off the screen. I, I sent that into them uh, so that I could do this. So bear with me. Um, but as we get into this, I, I want to tell you, or I don't want to sucker any of you guys into this. I want to tell you exactly where we're going. Uh, blessing is not what the world needs to see. Cheery, right? Everybody's like, yes, so glad we came this morning. Uh, your blessing isn't what the world needs to see, right? The world, we, we, I, we love worship songs. Our students love worship songs. They're all like, and these are great songs. Even the ones, I'm so glad we did a couple of ones we did this morning. They're awesome, right? Like chain breaker, miracle worker. He does these things, but a lot of times we can get in our mind what that looks like. God, I need this, or you're going to bless me. And when I get blessed, the world's going to see how great you are. And the world doesn't need to see your blessing anymore because they've seen blessing. They see blessing on the righteous and on the wicked, right? So your blessing isn't the testimony that the world needs anymore. And that's like, but I kind of want blessing, right? Like that's the way funner option here. Um, but I'd, I'd argue with you this morning that revival, if revival is our goal, if, if seeing the lost saved, if seeing lives changed is our goal, it's not gonna come through your blessing, but um, from somewhere else. So this morning, the message if I was gonna title it is suffering for Jesus. And the church said, amen. It was only a couple of you, and I expected that. It's okay. Um, no, I, I, this, is, this is fun. Suffering for Jesus. Uh, <laughs> it brings up images to my mind because I've worked with students, and they come up with these little catchphrases. So we went to a missions trip in Uganda, and we got there, um, and there were 10 guys all going in for the first time, and a lot of these kids on their first missions trip. And uh, the bathroom was a hole in the ground, in, in the middle, in the corner of our room. We walked into the rooms, and in the room, it's not a separate room, it's just a hole over in the corner. And so I walked in, I was kind of ready for it. I've done this before. Um, but the students that I was with, I, I, I wanted to watch their reactions. So I didn't prep them, right? Because I'm a great youth pastor. I was like, let's see what they look like. And so they walked in and a kid was like, dude, there's a hole in our ground. And I was like, really? You should, what's in there? Uh, I, I didn't do that. They're like, there's, there's a hole in the ground. What is that? Something's wrong with the room. And, and all, all of a sudden, all the other kids start popping out of their rooms. They're like, there's a hole in our room too. What is this? And I was like, oh guys, come, I'll show, you know, like, Everybody here. So they all get into this one room. They're looking at the hole. They're like, what is it? And I was like, that's where you go to the bathroom. They're like, no. And they're freaking out. And this one little kid, I guess he was the, like the youngest kid on our trip, um, a little bit of little man's disease, comes charging. And he had missed this whole interchange. He had taken a long time to get his stuff to the room. And he comes charging up. He's got to go to the bathroom bad. And he's like, hey, where's the bathroom? And the whole group, I didn't even answer. The whole group just goes, <laughs> right in points. And he goes, suffering for Jesus and just went right for it. And everybody was like, what? No way. It was hilarious. The kid owned it. Um, and it took a couple people a long time to use that hole. Uh, they really fought it. They're like, I th I, we're here for two weeks. I could probably make it till we get home. 
I could, if I really ration my water and my eating, I'd make it. Um, you know, you've got that. I've grown up, our, our worship team went on a mission trip to the Faroe Islands, uh, which I don't know, I didn't even know that was a thing. But they did, and they were, I was like, how cool is that? Our worship team's going on a mission trip. And they send me a picture, and they got put up in a five-star hotel, right? To which our worship pastor just texted me back, and she was like, man, I suffer for the Lord. And I was like, unbelievable. I refused to call it a mission trip. I was like, I'm on a bamboo mat in the jungle, and you're in a five-star hotel? Unbelievable. She's like, I just follow the Lord where he calls. <laughs> Fair enough, Kathleen, fair enough. Um, you know, suffering for Jesus. And so I have all these things, but the, the, the truth is your blessing isn't gonna be what sets the world on fire. So we're gonna read this first part, verse 16 through 24. I'm gonna read this story and see what we can pull out about the truth that I believe if we hold on to it, if we take it and apply it into our lives, that there's a real, real possibility, not even a possibility, there's a promise, there's an ability to change your community around you. These houses that are around Beaches Chapel, they will pour into this place if your heart reflects the heart that we're gonna see here. And so it says, once... We were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She is so true, right? That's exactly what's happening. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Love it. Paul's doing so much for God that he gets annoyed with this woman telling the truth. And he's like, cease. Um, I've never been to that place, but I'll get there one day, right? So when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're and throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been uh, severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received his orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. We'll stop right now uh, for there. We're going to keep moving on. We're going to go all the way through verse 34 by the end of this. Um, but don't worry, we're going to move quickly. So Paul and Silas get thrown into prison here for doing the right thing, right? And then people go and they lie about what they're doing and they get thrown into prison. This is a bum situation right? It's unfair. It's not right. God, how could you do this? How could you let this happen to me? I was following what you were doing. I was healing people. I was seeing amazing things happen. I was calling people to redemption. And I end up in literally the worst prison cell known to man, the inner cell of a Roman prison. This is not good, right? Paul and Silas are thrown into jail for being godly, right? So what do I do with that? Because I thought the promises of God, if I follow you, I get blessed, Right? If I follow you, good things happen. If I follow you, right, I'm not supposed to end up in the inner cell. I'm like, I'm not supposed to end up in prison at all, but certainly if I'm going to end up there, not in the inner cell, not in the worst place imaginable. Right? So what do Paul and Silas do? Their, their response to this is going to be real key. How do they handle this situation, following what the Lord says and ending up in the worst situation? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Paul and Silas get thrown into prison for doing the right thing, for being godly, and their response is to worship. Can I tell you what they're not doing? Praying for deliverance. They're not praying for God to break down the prison walls. They're not asking God to intercede on their behalf and set them free. They're worshiping. They're just singing hymns, right? They're praising God. And the most mind-blowing part about this isn't even that. It's the other prisoners. They're listening, right? Like these, these guys are, are if, I mean, if I heard somebody singing, I didn't know the song, right? That can get pretty annoying, right? Like stop singing. Paul, it's late. It's midnight. It's like, I want to sleep. I'm in a place I don't even want to be. And the only relief I have is to fall asleep and not have to think about this all the time right? And so Paul and Silas aren't doing that. They're singing, and the other prisoners were listening. Their response in the worst situation of which they didn't deserve, it wasn't fair, it wasn't right, it wasn't praying for deliverance from worshiping, and the prisoners are listening. How, can I ask you something this morning? This might be a little personal, but don't answer, but you, just think about it. Um, how do you react in difficult or unfair and let me be honest, even brutal situations. What's your reaction? And as you think about that, can I just tell you, the other prisoners are still listening, right? Your reaction in those moments, the other prisoners, the other people around you, because there are a whole lot of people in a prison around us, they're still listening to what we do. They're still listening to what you do in those moments. Are you worshiping? Are you asking for deliverance? which I wouldn't even say is wrong. Or are you giving into it? Just a question as we move into this, their response is to worship. Verse 26 through 27. Here's the part of the story we love to focus on. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of their prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains fell loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because, of, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Stop there. Here's like, when I work with students, they're all like, yes, amen. I'm going to worship, and my chains are going to fall off, right? The prison doors come falling down, and like, we love it. Amen. Yes and amen. I accept that, Lord Jesus, on my life, right? And, and it's a good, it's, it's true, it happened. I'm not going to say like, that's a, it's, it's in the Bible. It's not wrong. But I think we, we miss the point of this part of this story and, and we miss what happens immediately next. And because of that, we, we strip it of significantly, if not all of its true power. We miss this moment. And so I wanna set this up because this is, it's so easy to grab hold of that promise. Jesus, yes, I'll worship in my, in my difficulty and you're gonna break my chains. And you're gonna open the, the jail cells and you're going to set me free. Jesus, if I do this, I know that you'll do this, right? And, and so let me unfortunately bust that up um, because I think we've misread it and we've lost the power. And here's verse 28. Here's, here's if we can grab verse 28 instead of 26 and 27. If you, Beaches Chapel, will grab this verse, I would go so far as to promise you that the doors and the seats in this place would not be able to contain what happens in your community because of how powerful it is. Because the world is searching for verse 28 and what they're seeing is a group of people stand on the promise of 26 and 27. And it's, it, it falls short. So what happens in verse 28? But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Okay, here's what happens. We are all here. 
Paul and Silas didn't leave. Like, what? Why? Dude, the chains fell off. The doors fell down. You're in prison. You were there unfairly. You worshiped, and God tore down the prison walls. It's time for you to leave. At least that's, that's at least what I believe or believed. Right? I worshiped, and God set me free of my terrible circumstances. But it's not what Paul and Silas believed. I mean, it's a fair question. Wasn't that why God tore the prison walls down? To release his righteous prisoners, his righteous captives, the people that were there doing what he called them to. They worshiped, followed him, and he's like, yeah, blessing, leave. Paul and Silas understood something that I think many of us, I won't say all of us, many of us I think have forgotten. And it's this, that their prison wasn't a situation to overcome, but rather an opportunity to be maximized. They didn't see their prison as a prison, right? They knew they were in a prison, but when it's set free, given the choice to leave or stay, they stayed. They stayed. They saw it as an opportunity, not, not, not something to escape, right? We pray for release so often. I pray, I'm being honest with you guys. I pray so often for release from my prisons, And I ignore the fact that throughout the gospel, so often those exact prayers are answered, no. My grace is sufficient for you, right? God, remove the thorn from my side. No, my grace is sufficient. You'll learn to move and work with that thorn. You know, we see these guys, God releases the walls and they don't do. You can go to John the Baptist, right? Which is where I go with so many students because they're like, I'm praying I'm going to be set free. And I'm like, awesome, great promise to believe in. But what do you do with John, who's in prison, sends a message to his cousin Jesus. He proclaimed the way before Jesus had started his ministry. When he sees Jesus, he says, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is like follower number one of Jesus. And he gets put into prison. He's about to be beheaded. And he sends a message to Jesus. And he's like, hey, um, I know I've done all this awesome stuff I've preached for you, but are you the one or should we be looking for another one? Because I'm about to die and you're not getting me out of here. Right, like I thought I, for sure, number one follower, cousin, done so many cool stuff. I was eating, lo- you know, like locusts and honey for you, um, which doesn't sound great to me. Uh, right, like you're not getting me out of here. And so I'm kind of wondering, can I just make sure you're the one? And, and the message Jesus sends back is reminiscent. It's like, he's like, go back and tell John, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf healed, are healed, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the world. What he's saying is yes. I am the one, I'm the one who does all of these things. And guess what, John? Yes, I'm the one who's gonna leave you in prison and I'm gonna be the one that allows you to die. Like I said, super cheery message. But it's, the circumstances didn't change. So what do I do about that? Because I'm holding on to the good promise, but what do I do? Paul and Silas understood, I'm not leaving yet. There's an opportunity here. And it's not just Paul and Silas, but everyone stays. That's what really blows my mind. It's cool to look at Paul, but like these other guys don't, they're not Christians. They're not followers of Jesus. They're the worst of the worst. They're in jail with Paul and Silas. Ideally, you know, you would think for like real things, like probably murders and thieves and, you know, adulteries and other things that at this time would have been like, just these are the worst of the worst of these guys in there with them. And they stay too. Why? Have you ever thought about that? Why does everyone stay? Or maybe Paul and Silas. But why do the other guys stay? And here's why. It's because worship changes the atmosphere rather than the setting. Your worship, when done correctly, when we are truly worshiping, the goal of your worship isn't to change the setting that you're in. It'll change the atmosphere. So the setting doesn't need to be changed. 
They changed this, the atmosphere so much that the setting became somewhere everyone wanted to stay. They weren't leaving. Paul and Silas weren't leaving because there was something to be done there. The other people weren't leaving because they're like, hey, whatever's here, I'm going to sit around for a while longer. This is ridiculous. This atmosphere is different. I've never felt it before. Worship in the gospel. Here's the truth. As we get ready to close and the band can come back up. Is that worship in the gospel allow us to stay in difficult and even brutal situations longer than we should. Longer than we naturally could. But they do it for a greater purpose. Worship. When we worship, it, it, it puts us into a setting where what we're looking at naturally, the world is saying, yo, you need to get out. That's bad. That's unhealthy. It's, it's difficult. It's too much, right? We, we're getting ready at some point in the near future to do a series in, in youth group, in my youth group called either Superverse or Things Jesus Didn't Say. Um, because there's a lot of things, you know, like God won't give you more than you can handle. It sounds great, but it's just not true. God almost always gives us more than we can handle so that we rely on him, so that we can see how great his power is. If all I do is things I can handle, I don't need Jesus. Right? So they end up in this jail cell and nobody leaves. Right? No one moves out of this place. It's a brutal situation. It's a difficult situation. It's unfair. It's wrong. You shouldn't be there. Can I tell you Beaches Chapel? So many of you guys are in situations I understand are more painful than you ever thought would happen. You shouldn't be there. It's not fair that you're there. And God is not asking you to leave. He's not calling you to leave because here, the world around us, as soon as they see an out, they're out of situations. And when we do the same thing, they don't need what we have. What they need, the power they're looking for, the thing that they're hungry for, is a strength and an ability and a grace to sit in a situation and not be overcome by grief and pain. Because there's a God who will take the excess of what they can handle. They're waiting, they're, they're looking around, they're in, they're, they're, experiencing loss in their families. They're experiencing loss to sickness. They're experiencing loss due to, to broken relationships, to broken promises. They're experiencing so much of this and they're looking around to see, how do I get through this? And all that they're seeing, or most of what they're seeing around us in Christians is, well, if you just trust God a little bit more, he'll get you through it, which isn't wrong. But the way that we word it makes it sound like it's gonna make it better because that's what we're hoping for in our own life. We're hoping for that blessing. We're hoping for that release from prison. And God's saying, if you would just sit there, you might see all of the prisoners that are around you stop looking for their escape and start looking at why you're different. Why are you able to sit in this? Why are you able to handle this? The gospel and worship allows us to stay in those difficult situations longer. Let me show you this and we'll end verse 29 through 34. The jailer called for the lights. Did I read 28? Yeah, we are all here, yeah. Verse 29. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They didn't even, like, they didn't even witness to him. Can I tell you, this is what's gonna happen in your communities. If you start sitting in situations, stop looking for outs, but just start worshiping and changing the atmosphere, the work is done for you because the atmosphere will do it. The Holy Spirit will come in and move because you're so different than everyone else. The jailer just runs in and goes, how, how, do I, how do I get saved? I'm not even in jail, but I want what you have. And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all of the others in his house. 
And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and was washed and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them out in, into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The great part about this verse isn't that Paul and Silas get out of jail. I think if they thought there was more good that could be done in that jail, they probably would have stayed there longer. Right, but the jailer comes out and he takes them to his family and says, we all want what you have. Because of their willingness to stay in a situation that was bad and not just get out at the first sight, but to worship and change the atmosphere. They changed the, the, the other prisoners, the other inmates, but they also changed the jailer and his family. A whole household came to Jesus that day. That promise is alive and well for us today. That ability to see households renewed by our honesty, by our willingness to say, Look how broken we are. We're in the inner cell and that's okay. We're not looking for our way out. We're not worshiping God because he can set us free, but we're worshiping him because he's worth worshiping. Our praise isn't, our, our, our blessing isn't what the world needs, but rather our, our prison worship. They need us to not just bail out of our difficulties because it hurts and leave them. What if Paul and Silas had just gotten out, their, jails, their chains were off and they peaced? Well, the jailer dies, his family might've died and all the other prisoners are left to die too. They stayed and rescued people's eternal destiny, not just their life. They stand longer than makes sense. They, Paul and Silas call into the darkness, into the brokenness of someone else and says, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. That's what the world needs from us is to call into their lives and say, don't, don't hurt yourself because we, the church, we're here. We're not outside of the prison calling you out. We're in the prison with you. We're here. Step in with us. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be hurt. Because of that, for Paul and Silas, people were saved. And because of that, Beaches Chapel, people here are going to be saved. People will be saved if we would trust and believe that. Would you stand with me? We're gonna pray. I believe this is the example Paul set for us and the one that in our city right now, we need one of unity as the church and we need one of a people that are willing to, to walk into the ugly situation. Can I, again, those are prisoners. When we start prison worshiping, when we start reaching those people, can I tell you the people that walk in through your doors, they're not gonna be in suits, right? They're not gonna, they're not gonna have everything together. They're gonna have tattoos, they got hats on. They might not know how to do church correctly, but those are the people, right? That Jesus said, I came not for the healthy, don't need a doctor, but the sick. He went into the prison. It gets messy when you start doing prison worship, but it gets meaningful. And I believe it, I can feel it in this place. I can feel it as I walk and we worship that God is moving in your area. He wants to release the captives. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? If you're in the room this morning and that's you and you're saying, man, I, I help, I, I just, I've been a Christian, but I focused on the wrong thing in Jesus. I wanna worship in the prison more. Don't let me not look for my way out, but let me look for how to, how to stay a little longer. Help me worship for my atmosphere and not for my setting. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Just around the room. Awesome, awesome. That's great, awesome. We're gonna have a chance to pray for you in one second. Now I wanna, you can put your hands down. For any other person, maybe you're a visitor here, maybe you're here for the first time and you're saying, well, that's for Christians. I don't have anything in my life that gives me strength to stay in a prison cell and I want that. I don't have anything in, in my life that I believe in so much that it would give me an ability to stand in a bad situation 
and not see it as bad anymore. If you don't know Jesus, that's the answer. And if that's you in this room, would you raise your hand? If there's anybody that you need to commit to Jesus, you want that Jesus power. Anybody in here? Awesome, there we go. Absolutely, awesome. Okay, here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna go into worship. And if you raised your hand for either one of those things, I'm gonna invite the elders and pastors here at Beaches Chapel, if you guys would come forward, they're gonna be people up here. And, and I'm gonna pray for us really quickly. And I believe there's power in prayer and, and that whatever life change you're experiencing can happen there. You don't have to walk down front. But one thing I've learned, my, my pastor, Pastor Sean has taught is that sometimes it takes a stepping out right? An outward and visible sign of something that's happening inward and spiritually that we've got to solidify it. So I'm going to encourage you, please come down and find an elder. We just want to pray for you. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody is going to sit there and go, I wonder what they're talking about. We want to celebrate you, but we want to solidify those things in your life. So I'm going to pray. And as soon as I start praying, if that's you, if you made any one of those decisions, would you come down and find an elder? We want to we want to praise God. We want to solidify that. So let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and I pray a blessing in Jesus' name. God, I ask you that here in Beaches Chapel, that you would help, you would give us courage, that you would give us grace, that you would give us strength to stand into bad situations. God, to look for our opportunities to worship rather than our opportunities to escape. God, help us to change the atmosphere of every place that we step, that where we walk, that we would begin changing the atmosphere, we begin changing people, that they would look to us and say, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to get that? For those people in this morning that made that decision for the first time, Jesus, I pray that you solidify that in their life right now. You give them courage to step forward. You give them courage to find someone to pray with them. We believe that you're gonna move and do powerful things. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We give you this house. We give you our city. In Jesus' name, amen.